Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. The first reading is taken from 1 Samuel chapter 17, beginning to read at verse 16. The Israelites are confronted by the Philistines and their champion Goliath. For 40 days the Philistine came forward every morning and evening and took his stand. Now Jesse said to his son David, Take this ephah of roasted grain and these ten loaves of bread for your brothers and hurry to their camp. Take along these ten cheeses to the commander of their unit. See how your brothers are and bring back some assurance from them. They are with Saul and all the men of Israel in the valley of Elah, fighting against the Philistines. Early in the morning, David left the flock with a shepherd, loaded up and set out as Jesse had directed. He reached the camp as the army was going out to its battle positions, shouting the war cry. Israel and the Philistines were drawing up their lines facing each other. David left his things with the keeper of supplies, ran to the battle lines and greeted his brothers. As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance, and David heard it. When the Israelites saw the man, they all ran from him in great fear. Now the Israelites had been saying, Do you see how this man keeps coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. The king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He will also give him his daughter in marriage and will exempt his father's family from taxes in Israel. David asked the men standing near him, What will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? They repeated to him what they had been saying and told him, This is what will be done for the man who kills him. When Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him and asked, Why have you come down here? And with whom do you leave those few sheep in the desert? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. Now what have I done, said David? Can't I even speak? He then turned away to someone else and brought up the same matter. And the men answered him as before. What David was said was overheard and reported to Saul, and Saul sent for him. David said to Saul, Let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied, You are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You're only a boy, and he's been a fighting man from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. 
He put a coat of armour on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he wasn't used to them. I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I'm not used to them. So he took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with his sling in his hand approached the Philistine. Meanwhile, the Philistine, with his shield-bearer in front of him, kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was only a boy, ruddy and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, "'Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks?' And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. "'Come here,' he said, "'and I'll give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field.' David said to the Philistine, "'You come against me with sword and spear and javelin.' But I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will hand you over to me, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. Today I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly towards the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. David ran and stood over him. He took hold of the Philistine's sword and drew it from the scabbard. After he killed him, he cut off his head with the sword. When the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they turned and ran. The second reading can be found on page 1144. It's taken from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning to read at verse 18. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand miraculous signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom, And the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray as we remain standing. My soul purchased by his blood, 
my my life safe with Christ on high. We pray, Heavenly Father, that you'd help us to believe those truths, perhaps more than we ever have before, as we look at your words tonight. Speak to us powerfully, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Please do sit down. You might find it helpful to uh, have a Bible open, or at least uh, to hand to open in just a moment. We're looking for the second week running at the great story of... uh, David and Goliath on um, FA Cup fourth round day. It is brilliant to be talking about the minnows defeating the great ones as Leeds beat the mighty Tottenham today. Thank you, David. I see another Leeds fan saluting that great moment. It has absolutely nothing to do with David and Goliath, really, but I wanted to say it anyway. (laughs) Seriously, sometimes it doesn't seem as if the gospel makes any difference at all. Sometimes it is really hard to believe that the mighty claims of the gospel are true at all. We claim that Jesus defeats sin and death and Satan. We've been singing it right through um, this service. We began by singing this, death at last has met defeat. See the ancient powers of evil in confusion and retreat. Well, I look around the world and I don't see the ancient powers of evil in confusion and retreat. I see over 200 people who were killed in another, another disaster in Brazil. I look around the world and I don't see death defeated. I just see people dying in this congregation all the time. We claimed last week that Jesus defeated sin and death and Satan. We said that's what we see as we look at the story of David and Goliath in 1 Samuel chapter 17. But it's hard to believe it, isn't it? Well, there we saw David, God's chosen Messiah, stepping in to defeat Goliath, the enemy that the Israelites couldn't defeat. And we saw how we're in exactly the same situation. We need God's chosen Messiah, the Lord Jesus, to defeat sin and death and Satan. They are the enemies that we cannot defeat. But honestly, sometimes it is hard to believe that the gospel makes that kind of difference, isn't it? As I look at my own life, it doesn't seem that Jesus has defeated sin because I still sin. On the 25th of March this year, I'll have been a Christian 30 years. But still I sin. And in some ways, when I look at my sin, it seems worse than ever. How can I say that Jesus has defeated sin? And then there's death. I feel it acutely every time I take the funeral of a Christian believer. I'll be doing it here tomorrow. As I stand before a a congregation of mourners, many of whom are not Christians... And as I speak of the great confidence that we have in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, at times I can see on people's faces a disbelieving derision. Yes, I know, Vicar, that's what you're supposed to say, but you don't really believe that rubbish, do you? Well, they don't say that to me, but that's what I'm seeing. And I feel it as well as I'm saying it sometimes. And before we become all defensive, if we think about it, we can surely see why in that situation our message seems so unconvincing. See, at a Christian funeral, nothing looks any different to any other funeral. There's a coffin with a dead body. And to all intents and purposes, it looks no different to the funeral of an atheist or a humanist or a Muslim or a Jew or a Hindu or anyone else for that matter. It's all very well us speaking of the difference that the death of Jesus Christ makes, but face to face with death, it doesn't seem to change anything. We can say exactly the same as we look at the death of Jesus. 
his own death. Many people died on crosses at the hands of the Romans and standing at the foot of Jesus' cross, he looked like any other man dying on a cross. Just imagine that you were there 2,000 years ago as you stood and looked up at Jesus dying on the cross. You, You could argue that Jesus was a brave man. You could say that he was kind and selfless, you know, as he asked his friends to care for his mother while he himself was enduring pain and humiliation. What amazing kindness to be doing that. And all that is commendable, but as you stood at the foot of Jesus' cross and saw him die, you'd be hard-pressed to persuade anyone that you were witnessing a remarkable victory over death, as we've been singing. Could you really persuade somebody at that moment, as you look up at Jesus dying, that they were watching the death of death? Because it didn't look like it. It's very hard sometimes to believe what we say we believe. The cross, the very thing we look to as the power of God to defeat sin and death and Satan, the cross looks so weak. And so as we proclaim that the cross of Jesus saves people from sin and death and Satan, our words seem so foolish. Weak and foolish. And that is exactly what Paul, the Apostle Paul, writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Come with me to the second of those two readings just to see this and then we'll go to the uh, great story of David and Goliath. Page 1144. Page 1144. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. Hear the words of Paul. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Look on to verse 22. Jews demand miraculous signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. See, Paul, he's clear, the cross does look weak and foolish. And that is, of course, is why some Christians demand to see acts of great power. Why some Christians crave miraculous signs that show that God is strong and wise. Because when they show their friends the cross, and actually when they themselves look at the cross, it doesn't look very powerful. It looks very foolish and weak. But Paul is also very sure that the cross is, in fact, the wisdom and the power of God As he says in verse 25, for the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. Verse 24, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. And that is exactly what we see in the story of David and Goliath in 1 Samuel chapter 17. So come back with me to that story now and hopefully we'll have a bit of an insight into what it's all about, that it really isn't about the fourth round of the FA Cup, glorious as that has been. Oh, I've mentioned that already. Page 288, 1 Samuel chapter 17. Some of you won't have been here last week, uh, but uh, if you were, you'll remember that as we looked at um, Goliath in verses 4 to 10, We saw just how mighty and powerful he was. That's what those verses are there for, to show us he was a man mountain. 
Every Israelite on the front line was terrified of him. Muscles on his muscles. Yeah, he, he didn't just work out once or twice a day. He was, he was just enormous. Every time he stepped out and challenged the Israelites, they were gripped with fear. And so we saw last week in verse 11, we saw that faced with Goliath, the Israelites were helpless and terrified. And in the same way, faced with sin and death and Satan, we too are helpless and we should feel terrified at the prospect of going to our death as sinners. See, that's the great problem with sin. I've got it now, I can live with it now, but if I die with it and face God with it, I'm going to face a fate worse than death. We're in dire straits. We can't overcome sin and death. Just as the Israelites couldn't defeat their enemy. And that's why we need the Messiah, the Lord's chosen anointed, to step in. And that's why verse 12, do you remember, was such a relief to us. Those first two words in verse 12 are brilliant. Now David. They're only two words, but they are such a relief for us as we read the story because just one chapter earlier, in chapter 16, we learned that David was God's chosen Messiah, the anointed one. That's all that Messiah means, the, the anointed king. And in chapter 16, we saw him being anointed by Samuel, the prophet. So it's a relief as he steps onto the stage. But remember, David's being anointed as as God's chosen king was a private affair. This is crucial to understand what's going on now. None of the Israelites on the front line knew David's identity. To them, as he walked onto the stage, as it were, as he walked onto the front line, he seemed very ordinary and, as we'll see, very weak. To them, to trust in David, to trust in the shepherd from Bethlehem, To trust in him to deliver them from their enemy seemed utter foolishness. But we'll also see from this story that what seemed foolish and weak was in fact God's wisdom and strength. And so as we look through 1 Samuel 17, see how David, the Lord's anointed, appears appears weak and foolish. See, in verse 12 we read that David was the, the youngest son of Jesse, the youngest. He was the weakest the youngest of eight. And what do we read, verse 13? Jesse's uh, three oldest sons who'd followed Saul to the war. The firstborn was Eliab, the second Abinadab, and the third Shammah. David was the youngest. The three oldest followed Saul, but David went back and forth from Saul to tend his father's sheep at Bethlehem. That says it all, doesn't it? David either wasn't old enough to join the troops or he just wasn't big enough for a battle. And so while verse 16, day after day, Goliath threw down the gauntlet, challenging the Israelites, David looked after his father's sheep in Bethlehem. And the best that David could do for the war effort was provide the troops with some tasty rations. That's verse 17. Now Jesse said to his son David, take this ephah of roasted grain and these 10 loaves of bread for your brothers and hurry to their camp. Take along these 10 cheeses to the commander of their unit. See how your brothers are and bring them back, bring back some assurance from them. There was Saul and all the men of Israel in the valley of Elah fighting the Philistines. Your brothers are fighting the Philistines. Take some cheeses to them. That's what you're going to do. Very impressive. That's what David's dad told him to do. Take some rations. And, of course, that's how David arrived on the scene, taking a bit of bread and a few bits of cheese. So ordinary, so unspectacular. 
Do you see what doesn't happen? The Lord's anointed doesn't come riding in on his trusted steed. A knight in shining armour, he is not. He's got some cheeses, a bit of gorgonzola. That'll save the day. The way David arrives on the scene all seems so low-key, we might say, so weak. But that's the point. Because that is how the Lord's anointed arrived on the scene. Jesus came into this world for a supernatural battle to defeat sin and death and Satan. But we were only remembering a month ago at Christmas time, he came as a baby. So ordinary and so weak. There were no fireworks, no great song and dance. Oh, there was the occasional angel, but most people didn't see them. What we, what we sang a, week, a month ago was this. How silently, how silently the wondrous gift is given. A little baby. The saviour of the world. How can that be? He seems so weak and so powerless. But that is how God works in salvation. And that's how David arrived on the scene. And to cut this long story just a little bit shorter, David's father told him to go to his brothers and verse 23, as David was talking with his brothers on the front line, the Philistine champion from Gath stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance and David heard it. We've already seen from verse 16, it's, it's what Goliath did day after day after day. For 40 days, he stepped out from his lines and he shouted his usual defiance. But this time, well, this time was one time too many because, end of verse 23, David heard it. David heard Goliath taunting the Israelites. And David saw the Israelites' response, verse 24. When the Israelites saw the man that is Goliath, they all ran from him in great fear. Now the Israelites had been saying, do you see how this man keeps coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. The king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He'll also give him his daughter in marriage and will exempt his father's family from taxes in Israel. Now at this point, David knows the situation. He's heard Goliath mocking. He's seen how terrified the Israelites are and he's been informed of Saul's offer. But David is so different. He doesn't respond the way the Israelite army responded. See, we've seen it. Verse 11, they were dismayed and terrified. Verse 24, they ran from Goliath in great fear. So there are two responses in this chapter. David's response and everyone else's response. Now at this point, just allow me to pause and to remind us of the words we read back in chapter 16 a couple of weeks back. Come back with me to chapter 16 and verse 7 before we go any further in the story of David and Goliath because this verse will open up some more of what chapter 17 is about. Do you remember when, uh, when Samuel was sent to try and find who would be the, the next uh, anointed king? And um, Eliab, uh, David's big brother, came onto the scene and Samuel thought, he's great, he's going to be the one. And we read chapter 16, verse 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. And here's the key thing. The Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. 
when we were thinking about this a couple of weeks ago, we said, well, of course man looks at the outward appearance. Of course we look at the outward appearance. Of course we do. That's all we can see. I can't see into your heart. You can't see into mine. All I can see is what I see. And we don't see the whole situation as the Lord does. We don't see as God sees. And so you see, with that verse in our minds, the Lord sees on the heart, but we just see what we see. With that in our minds, if we'd been there on the front line in 1 Samuel chapter 17 with the Israelites that day, we'd have seen what they saw, the outward appearance. We'd have seen Goliath, the colossus of a man. And we'd have seen someone who was completely unbeatable. A situation that was unchangeable and a future that was going to be unbearable because they were going to become slaves to the Philistines. But David sees things quite differently because David views things from God's perspective. And viewed from God's perspective, things look very different. And so back in chapter uh, chapter 17, have a look at verse 26 because David says, because he doesn't view things the way man views them, David says, verse 26, David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills the Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Brilliant, aren't they, those words? See, David is the Lord's anointed, the spirit-anointed servant of the Lord. And so David doesn't see before him a giant, but verse 26, do you see it there? An uncircumcised Philistine. And he doesn't see Israel as the servants of Saul, which is the way Goliath had described the Israelite army. He doesn't see Israel as the servants of Saul, but you see it, verse 26, as the armies of the living God. David saw things differently. And when we think about it, from God's perspective, what is Goliath? What is a man that stands nine feet tall to the creator of the universe? What is any man to God when we remember that it is God who gives life and it is God who takes it away? Goliath's taunting left the Israelites paralyzed because they looked at the outward appearance. They saw man, they saw as man sees. But David had a different perspective altogether. Goliath's words were a matter of disgrace for God's people and words that dishonored the Lord himself. So verse 26, David tells us, uh, verse 26 tells us that David saw the bigger picture. And so in verse 26, it's as if David asked the Israelites, do you expect the living God to allow an uncircumcised Philistine to trample God's name through the mud? Oh, for us, it's so exciting, isn't it, to see David, the Lord's anointed, step into the situation. But it wasn't such good news for David's big brother. Eliab didn't see it that way at all. Eliab didn't like David's question. Look at verse 28. When Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him and asked, why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the desert? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. It's a remarkable outburst. David says in the next verse, can I even speak now? Eliab is another example of someone who doesn't see as God sees. To Eliab, David is just his little brother. A little brother who has, in his view, has thoughts way beyond his station. What is striking about Eliab is that, you see it there in verse 28, Eliab reckons he can see into David's heart. But we know no one can see somebody else's heart. He doesn't see that at all. He thinks he can, but he can't. But we also know that Eliab is different to everyone else on the front line. 
Because you see, we don't need to turn it up, but in chapter 16, verse 13, it tells us that all David's brothers saw him anointed that day in chapter 16. Eliab was there when David was anointed by Samuel. Eliab knows that David is the Lord's anointed, so he should have responded quite differently to David as they stood there on the front line. And we've just seen back in chapter 16, verse 6 and 7, that Eliab thought he was going to be the Lord's anointed. But then he wasn't chosen. Eliab was Jesse's eldest son, the tall, impressive one. He was so nearly chosen by Samuel. And so now we begin to see what's going on in chapter 17, verse 28. Eliab's outburst against David was full of jealousy. Eliab was full of pride. He's just my little brother, and I was going to be the the next anointed. And so he didn't want David to be the saviour. He, Eliab, wanted to be the saviour and the hero. He couldn't do it. He couldn't defeat Goliath any more than any of us could. But perversely, he didn't want David to do it either. And I meet people just like Eliab. People who know about the Lord's anointed. They know about Jesus. They really do, but they don't want to trust him. They might say it's because there's not enough evidence or because they can't trust the Bible. But the real reason is they're full of pride. They don't want someone else to rescue them. And perhaps it's because they can't see how the Lord's chosen Messiah can rescue them because he seems so weak and to trust him seems so foolish. Eliab then was irritated by David and Eliab rejected David. So David discussed the issue with others on the front line and we read this, verse 30. He then turned away to someone else and brought up the same matter and the men answered him as before. And as he talked, verse 31, what David said was overheard and reported to Saul and Saul sent for him. David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. And Saul replied, You're not able to go out against the Philistine and fight him. You're only a boy. And he's been a fighting man from his youth. And so once again in Saul we see someone who only looks on the outward appearance. To Saul, David's nothing more than a young whippersnapper. You're just a boy with some cheese. Goliath's the giant of a man, a fighting machine. Fighting is what he's done all his life. From outward appearance, David doesn't stand a chance. Compare David with the Goliath and he is weak. Put David into battle with Goliath, looks madness, it looks foolish. But as we read on, the passage says, don't be fooled. Verse 34, David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he's defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. Here's the point again. David, the Lord's anointed, looked weak, but he wasn't as weak as it seemed. In the Lord's strength, he did mighty and powerful things. That's the point of verse 37. It is in the Lord's strength. But it is only in the Lord's strength that this victory will be won. Look at verse 38. 
Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armour on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his sword over the tunic and, was, and tried walking around because he was not used to them. I can't go in these, he said to Saul, because I'm not used to them. So he took them off. See what's going on there? Saul, King Saul, wanted David to fight Goliath wearing his Saul's armour. But here's the really big thing for us tonight as we get close to an end. The Lord doesn't defeat the enemy the way the world fights. Saul offered him his his armour to David, but David couldn't even walk in it. You see, David was not a king like Saul. David was not like uh, all the kings of the nations. He was God's chosen Messiah. So in more than one way, Saul's armour wouldn't fit him. For the Lord's Messiah doesn't fight like the world. And that's why to the world, the Lord's chosen Messiah doesn't seem attractive. He seems so weak and his way appears to be so foolish. How can a man dying on a cross defeat sin and death and Satan? And how can a boy without any armour and just a slingshot defeat a man nine feet tall and with muscles on his muscles? Verse 40. David took his staff in his hand chose five small stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag and with his sling in his hand approached the Philistine. Meanwhile, the Philistine with his shield bearer in front of him kept coming over closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was only a boy, ruddy and handsome and he despised him. He said to David, am I a dog that you come with me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. Now, if we didn't know how the story ended, at this point, we'd ask ourselves, how can David defeat Goliath? He looks so weak and insignificant. To go into battle like this looks so foolish. If we didn't know the end of the story, and if we weren't Christians, and there's a lot of ifs there, we would find out what odds down at Ladbrokes were on Goliath winning. And even though it'd probably be poor odds, we'd probably put our house on it. But we do know how the story ends, and we are Christians, so we don't go to Ladbrokes. So I don't know why I said all that. But here's the point. Well, I do. The point is this. It was, a, it was, it was bound to happen. Goliath's going to win, if we don't know the end of the story. But here's the point. Anyway, I'm digressing. Here's the point. Verse 45. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you've defied. This day the Lord will hand you over to me and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. Today I'll give the carcass of the Philistine army to the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those who gather here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves. There's our point. For the battle is the Lord's and he will give all of you into our hands. And we know what happened next. Without a great battle, David slayed the giant. The Lord's anointed defeated God's enemy. And he defeated God's enemy in a way that seemed impossible. That's what we read in verse 50, you see. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. He did it in a way that seemed impossible, that seemed so weak, that seemed so stupid. And as we look at the cross, we see exactly the same happening. 
As we look to the cross, we see the Lord's victories won through what the world considered to be weakness and utter foolishness. It's where we began. Let's go back there just to end. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 18, page 1145, as we see it again in the light of uh, all that we've read in 1 Samuel 17. One Corinthians chapter one and verse eighteen. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. But it doesn't look like it, and that's why many people don't become Christians. Verse twenty-two: Jews demand miraculous signs, and Greeks look for wisdom. So you'll find people doing those two things, demanding signs and looking for wisdom, demanding miraculous signs. It's been said to me on a number of occasions, but uh, one conversation stands out for me. A friend called Steve, I was his best man years ago. Steve said to me once, uh, we'd chatted often about Jesus. Steve said, if when I get home, I find a pot of gold on my doorstep, then I'll become a Christian. I talked to him often about the cross of the Lord Jesus. He didn't want to know that. He wanted a sign. He demanded a sign. The cross wasn't enough for him. The cross seemed weak and foolish. That's what it's saying here. That's why many people don't become Christians. But sadly, many who call themselves Christians are the same. They look for miraculous signs as the thing that's going to really make their faith strong. The cross and the resurrection, the most miraculous sign of all, is not enough for them. They demand to see a miracle to help them believe. To do that is just to ape the world. So some look for miraculous signs, verse 22. Others, verse 22, look for wisdom. Again, I can think of a number of people I've met who've who've done just that, but I think of one, one in particular. He was a philosophy student. He said to me, I don't mean to offend you, Paul, but it's stupid what you believe. Well, if he did mean to offend me, I don't know what he'd have said. Anyway, no, he didn't offend me. We were, we were having a good chat, so I didn't mind at all. It's stupid what you believe. I just can't see it, he says. I can't see how Jesus' death can do all that you say it does. The cross didn't seem wise to him. Well, it doesn't, does it? But that is where the story of David and Goliath is so helpful. You see, David is a shadow of the Messiah to come. He's not the the full thing, Jesus is. But in David, we see a pattern of how God saves his people through his chosen Messiah, Jesus. And in David, we see what seems to be weak and a method that appears to be foolish is stronger than man's strength and wiser than man's wisdom. Can defeat Goliath. The strongest thing you could think of in terms of a man. It's exactly what we read, you see, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 25. The foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. That's what we see in the story of David and Goliath, and that's what we see at the cross. And so when we're tempted to think that the gospel doesn't really make any difference, and I'm tempted to think that, and I'm sure that if you're being honest, you do too, When we're finding it hard to believe that the mighty claims of the gospel are true, that the cross of Jesus defeats sin and death and Satan, and boy, does it matter that we get this right, because if I'm doubting this and I'm thinking, oh, it can't be true, I'm going to walk away. Well, when you're doubting those things, remember David and Goliath. 
And remember, in the story of David and Goliath, we don't see the whole picture. We only see what appears before our eyes. And remember supremely that God's foolishness is wiser than man's wisdom and God's weakness is stronger than man's strength. And faced with an enemy that we can't defeat, we can believe that the cross will save us from sin and death and Satan. Isn't that good news?